Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening to our listeners joining us today. I'm Will Heisentruit, and this is Sometimes Baseball. I'm joined by Xavier Dashner, and today we will be taking a dive into his relationship with the game of baseball. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. That's fantastic. Now, as the title suggests, this is part of the personal podcast series where a commenter is randomly selected from our social media platforms to join the show and talk about baseball. If you like what you are hearing here and want more, we also hold a weekly episode covering a wider scope where the agenda covers our random thoughts, baseball history, takeaways from the season, larger overall baseball topics, drafts, trivia, song lyrics, movie quotes, and trending Twitter topics. If any of our listeners have a fun Twitter story they want us to talk about, trivia they think can stump David, Carrie, or our guests, you can be a part of the show. All you have to do is reach out to us on your Instagram or TikTok. On Instagram, you can DM us at sometimesbaseball. And on TikTok, you can reach us at sometimes.baseball. Additionally, if you like our logo, head on over to teespring.com slash stores slash sometimes baseball for branded apparel if you don't like any of the current designs you can reach out to our email which is sometimes baseball at gmail.com all right let's jump into it xavier tell us who your team is and really how you got into baseball well my team is the baltimore orioles because of that i have a painful and <laughs> very uh difficult relationship no i'm kidding obviously uh i love the sport but sometimes my team are a little bit subpar. <laughs> it's been a rough go of it since the 2016 season, I would say. <laughs> Basically, yeah, that, that hits the nail on the head. No, I've played the game most of my life until I went to college, all through high school, at, like everywhere I could. I played in like two or three leagues every summer. I was doing just rec ball for fun and like travel, whatever, whoever would take me. <laughs> yeah. Anytime I could play, I would. So... Playing the game obviously is near and dear to my heart, but you know I'm 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 a fan now. I've graduated from actually playing. That kind of yes, comes yeah. with not <laughs> continuing after high school. So that's phase two, I guess. Yeah, no, I grew up uh, playing the game as well. I love every second of it, and now just being a fan is a whole different experience. But I love that as well. So, would you say now is like your peak fandom in the sport, or was it back when the Orioles were? all the way in the ALCS? You know, that's an interesting question. I think I know a lot more about baseball today than I did in like 2014 Mm -hmm. when the O's were at their finest, their real peak. Just because with the O's not being as good, I've kind of had to expand horizons to keep myself interested. Like my dad is a huge Minnesota Twins fan. He's from around Minneapolis. And because of that, I'm kind of a secondhand Twins fan myself and watching them succeed in Bomba Squad and all the beautiful, beautiful baseball that they play over there. Uh, it, you know, it keeps you engaged on that front. And with, you know, I'm from right around DC. So with the Nats winning the World Series that, that you have to be aware of all the time. All my friends are, are great Nats fans like yourself are uh, definitely making me very aware that that's going on. So, yeah, generally more in touch now than ever before. Yeah, and that's, uh, that's how I feel as well. It's, there's always something new you can learn about the game. And it's funny you say you're a secondhand Twins fan because all four of my grandparents are from Minnesota, and my mom is a Twins fan as a result. <laughs> so I, she was a big fan of Kirby Puckett. I got her a throwback jersey uh, for one Christmas or maybe it was her birthday. But, yeah, so she loves the game of baseball as well. And, but yeah, the Twins fans, they are 
passionate and the twins are a fun team to watch. So I'm happy that they have a fun team to watch out there. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. I was gonna, I was gonna come on here today cause I have a very specific thesis about the Baltimore Orioles. I'd love to share with you. <laughs> I'm, I'm interested to hear it. I let, let's, let, yeah, let's, uh, let's air it out. Let's I'll hear it. You. Yeah. So it has always disappointed me in my adult life that the O's are kind of treated as a second class team by the <laughs> national you know, sports writers of America and their organization, you know, you expected and fans of a lot of ball teams from not New York or Boston or LA are used to not, you know, taking up a lot of space on the headlines. It's kind of the nature of it. You get that guys want clicks, but I've kind of become tired of being the punchline these last few years, (laughs) especially this season, man. You read any uh, season preview before we set out for 2020 baseball, and it was something like, well, this team's not as good as they were last year, but at least they're not the Orioles. (laughs) (laughs) And it starts to wear on you just a little bit. We are – we are guilty of that on this show. One of the hosts predicted that they wouldn't even win double-digit games, but he's very happy now that they are past that and they are in the kind of like in the thick of it for the playoff hunt. <laughs> yeah, well, let's hope it stays that way. But you know, I'm I'm not a huge fan of that. <laughs> Might have to uh, limit my clicks on sometimes baseball. No, no, I'm messing with you. <laughs> <You're> but, <good>. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, I I want to remind your viewers that the Baltimore Orioles from the years of 2012 to 2016 were the winningest team in the American League. These guys for five whole years up until like three seasons ago, which is not not very far in the distant past. Yeah. This team was one of the top two or three teams in the entire sport for a consistent long lasting period of time. Yeah, I've got the 2014 Baltimore Orioles page up, but they were 96 and 66 that year. They had Chris Davis hit 26 homers. Uh, granted, he only hit less than 200, but still production. Jonathan Scope was kind of emerging. Uh, J.J. Hardy, Manny Machado, Adam Jones, Nick Markakis, Nelson Cruz were still entrenched in that lineup. And then on the pitching side of things, uh, it wasn't as pretty, but – they did have uh, Darren O'Day and Zach Britton in the back of that bullpen to get it done for. <laughs> Absolutely. They were shut down. And my single favorite stat about the 2014 team, they went to the playoffs. They were uh, pitted up against the Detroit Tigers in the first round. They faced three starting pitchers who <laughs> went on to sign for $607 million combined within the next two years. They beat David Price, Max Scherzer, and Justin Verlander back-to-back-to-back games. The three previous AL Cy Young Award winners. (laughs) Exactly, yes. That is absurd. And that's not like it wasn't an all-pitching team either. That was Miguel Cabrera, Victor Martinez in their primes. That was when Miguel Cabrera was the best player in baseball. Yeah, he was coming off the back-to-back MVP years. (laughs) He was incredible. The whole team was excellent. That was the Tigers' window. And the Orioles just kind of slammed it on their fingers a little bit, which (laughs) frankly made me very happy. Which brings me back to my point. Why is that so, so far in the past that now the O's get treated like trash today (laughs) every time you turn around? I, you know, I don't mean to gripe too much, but 
we kind of became the punchline. Why does everyone feel like it's right for the Orioles to end up in the cellar in the AL East? You know, that is a very interesting question. And I think it all stemmed from the 2016 wild card game, that singular decision Buck Showalter made of not putting Zach Britton in the game after having arguably one of the greatest relief seasons of all time, a 0-5-4 ERA, 47 saves, and 67 innings pitched. And I think from that, so, 27, so 2016, they won 89 games. 2017, they won 75. 2018, they won 47. And last year, they won 54. So it took a very steep dive very quickly. And I think the general public, they didn't understand it. And they said, this is how the team has always been just because of the rapid downfall of this team, unfortunately. <laughs> and it doesn't help that they are not one in, in one of the bigger markets. Uh, Baltimore is not one of the biggest cities in America, like uh, Philly and New York, Chicago, or in LA. I, I think people give them too rough of a go of it. Plus the Chris Davis signing as well on top of everything else. It just, it's not like people aren't, <laughs> it's not good, I guess. It's fair to criticize all that. It is. It definitely is. And the market is definitely the biggest factor in all of that. You know, it is Baltimore. It's always going to be like that, but it bothers you at least Tampa. You know, if you read fan graphs or, other publications that you know they love to pick on Tampa Bay as a real organization that does great things and they do don't get me wrong but their rebuild and the Astros when they went through the exact same thing with Mike Elias as you know a a prominent uh, instigator of their rebuild yeah they were written up they were proclaimed World Series champions in what was the 2017 yeah and then they won in 2017 albeit not fairly (laughs) we won't get into that today (laughs) not not today (laughs) they still saw a lot of love yo's not so much you don't you don't want to complain constantly we were blessed with some great teams and Manny Machado we got to really watch some incredible baseball but it's a little frustrating when you don't get any respect for that kind of thing no, and I completely understand. Yeah, I was just trying to figure out, like, why that is. And it doesn't help when you're also in the same division as the hate, hated New York Yankees and the hated Boston Red Sox yes. who get all the press, all the love in the media because that's where a lot of media members are from, is from New York and Boston. Uh, so, uh, thankfully, though, Baltimore Orioles do have a backing from Ken Rosenthal. He was their reporter back in the eighties and nineties to back them. So he's always got, he's always had a soft spot for the Orioles in the press. He's always willing to remind people of, Hey, the Orioles are still, you know, they're a team. It's Um, true. And Brittany Giroli is taking up that mantle too. Now that she's moved on to the athletic, she's doing some good work. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, so she did cover the Orioles, uh, I think until 2018. And then she moved over to the athletic and covered the Washington nationals. And so she has been as well on part of those bigger stories and really draws light to that. So people are starting to read her and she also has a soft spot for the Orioles. So people are coming back around to the Orioles. I think Um, they also have a fun team. I think this year uh, between Anthony Santander 
what's his name? Humberto or Hanser Alberto, definitely. Hanser Alberto, yeah. I, I can find the first laugh. <laughs> so yeah, like they do have uh some fun guys on that team. It's just when can they really piece it all together? Yeah, that is the question. And you know, we're hopeful for that turnaround. <laughs> we're hopeful for all of it. We enjoy watching what we have though. We like we like uh Hanser Alberto, we like seeing Iglesias. Because this is, if you don't mind, another tangent. Yeah. It's fun to watch some guys who put the ball in play constantly. Low strikeout, low, like the opposite of the three true outcomes revolution yeah. that gets talked <laughs> about so much. You get why that works so well, but it's fun to see dudes just step up and know the ball's going somewhere in play and something, inter- something interesting is going to happen every time they swing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, put the pressure on the defense. I I love doing that. Uh, like I love my teams doing that. Uh, Trey Turner is a great example of that. He just put pounds the ball on the ground and runs yeah, fast as he best. can. <laughs> uh, and he's always on base, and I love that. He really gets in the head. But yeah, the, so the Orioles they are coming. I don't know if people realize that, and people also forget they have money, a lot of it. They I think in their peak years they were close to two hundred million dollars when they were going for the playoffs every year. They had the big contracts, and but right now they don't, other than outside of Chris Davis, and that's okay. But they are coming, <laughs> and it, people should watch out. I, I think 2021, 20, 22, it's they're going to start winning a lot more games than they have. Yeah, we're very hopeful for exactly that. Yeah. So, getting back into like your relationship, how did you become a fan of the Orioles? How did you go to a lot of games there? That was that was my first experience at baseball games. I grew up in Maryland. And, yeah, going to Camden Yards, that was always something our family did. So, yeah, how, uh, how did your fandom grow, I guess? Just like that. Same way. My dad was a big baseball fan, as I've said. And not being anywhere near his hometown team. And, of course, when I was growing up, we didn't have the Nationals yet. They came in 2005. Mm-hmm. I spent most of my very, very early childhood going straight to Baltimore, catching games in Camden. Um, I was in kindergarten when the Nats came, actually. Yes. So that was an interesting point. <laughs> my hometown is pretty similar distance driving time-wise from D.C. and Baltimore. So it kind of became a division point in friend groups. I'm sure you went through this, too. Yes, I wholeheartedly agree. But I, I was there. We became Nats fans very early. We had season tickets 05 through 08, and then they got super expensive once they built that ballpark. Yeah, so we've been fans since the beginning for the Nats. But there are still those diehard Orioles fans in Maryland who I'm sure you can attest to <laughs> look down on us Nationals fans. <laughs> no, literally, I was uh, in kindergarten. I was super excited about the Nats coming. I walked up to my good friend at the time. His name was Nick. I said, Nick, you're a big baseball fan. Aren't you excited that the Nats are coming? He says, weren't you an O's fan? And I'm like, yeah, like, yeah, I like the Orioles. He said, you're going to abandon your team just when something new comes along. I don't know if it quite had that uh, uh, vocabulary, but yeah. I got the message pretty loud and clear in <laughs> kindergarten that I wasn't going to leave the O's behind. And I was like, Nick, you're right. Ride or die O's rest of my life. That's hey, how I became an Orioles fan. A diehard one at that sounds like. And like that's, I guess, a lot of people's stories with it is you got to pick one early and then you got to stick with it. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah. I've been largely rewarded. Not quite as much as the Nats fans, but that's all right. 
the rivalries are fun too. It's it's really fun. Yeah, the Beltway the Beltway battle is always it's usually always split. The Orioles do seem to have the upper hand on the Nats for a lot of those games, which I'm sure you're happy about. Uh, but <laughs> it, it, it's they're fun series. I always get excited for them. Now with interleague play always going on, uh, you're going to see it a lot more often. But before that, they're always playing each other, and every year I was always like a thing because. <laughs> You get your friend group together, some are Orioles fans, some are Nats fans, and you go. It'd be a lot of fun. Always, definitely. And both ballparks are fun to go to. I've been to those Nats games in either venue and with both kinds of fans, and it's, it's definitely a great time. Healthy, mm-hmm. rival- healthy rivalry for sure. Yes. Um, some of my earliest memories at Nats Park were whenever they sing the national anthem, and it was always – uh, when it comes around to the O, say, can you see that? That's when all the O's fans would chime in. Just, oh, <laughs> uh, yeah, for those it's that ingrained. <laughs> yes, for those of the, you that do not know, every time the national anthem is sung and it comes along with an O, that's when all the Orioles fans chime in and light up that ballpark. I think but, we've scared more than one national anthem singer comes to our park unaware and they're just like what <laughs> i'm surprised they don't <laughs> i'm surprised it isn't like a requirement to tell that person hey people are gonna explode when this lyric comes around by now i hope they, they've gotten around to that yeah seriously but yeah anyway did you have like favorite players growing up like was it like the miguel tejada show i know he was hot for a while I have a Miguel Tejada poster in my bedroom at home. You better believe I do. That, oh, that's awesome. <laughs> that hung. He he was he was special. No, I always loved Melvin Mora. In, I I remember uh, that name. Wow, Melvin Mora. I haven't heard that in years. But yes, exactly. that was his name. He was always a solid guy. Melvin Mora had his own cheer in uh, Camden Yard stands, and it was pretty straightforward. Melvin. Mora, yeah. <laughs> repeat, repeat, repeat. Every time he was at the dish, and you know, being like five years old, that's about the only thing you can keep up with. So uh-huh. that kind of started me on the path toward being a real fan, a participant fan, I guess we'll say. Hearing his name and having it ingrained in the chant for me made him like my go-to guy. Be like, oh, Melvin Mora. Yeah. So I'm I'm looking at the stats for Melvin Moore right now. He had 158 home runs with him, batted 279, uh, 794 OPS. He played third base, outfield, shortstop form. He was all over the diamond. Two-time All-Star, Silver Slugger. Like this guy, he was what people in Baltimore were looking for. He actually finished 18th in MVP in 2004. So yeah, he, I would not have known that, honest to God. <laughs> <laughs> this, is, this is even too early, but he was a ball player. Everybody yeah. knew that much. Yeah, he was ingrained in that lineup uh, deep into his career uh, until he was 37 uh, wow. <laughs> when his contract ran out. But yeah, that, this was uh, a guy people loved in Baltimore and still do, it sounds like. Definitely. That was an early one, but yeah, I would say that I would say Jonathan Scope would be my favorite modern area Baltimore Oriole, which is kind of a, an underdog pick. I don't know how many folks would agree with that just because he wasn't, you know, a cornerstone. Like Manny Machado was always great, but you always could kind of tell he was leaving bigger and better things and all that, which is mm-hmm. fine. You're, you're happy you got six years, well, six and a half, five and a half with yeah. Manny. Chris Davis with his contract, it will never be entirely okay. <laughs> <laughs> Adam Jones was great. But Jonathan Scope kind of embodied the Orioles spirit of not exactly a special player, not on somebody's radar, but 
extremely competent, extremely underrated at times, and always able to deliver in the clutch. Have strong memories of watching Wednesday night baseball in San Francisco, <laughs> you know, West Coast game. So you're up real late out here in the East. Yeah. And Cueto's throwing for the Giants, seventh inning. And he's been hanging these like cutters that he throws. Cueto's cutter yeah, yeah, is great, yeah. but he's been hanging them all inning because he's late in the game. It's tired. He's tired at this point. John Scope comes to the dish. O's are down two. There's like a man on first. And you can just kind of, they say he looks hitterish. You ever hear that expression? <laughs> oh, yeah. John yeah. Scope steps up to the box looking very hitterish. <laughs> like he's just like salivating. Like he was in the on deck circle. It's like, I'm ready to go up there. I know he's going to throw me. I'm ready to hit it. Let's go. <laughs> yep. So Cueto hangs one of these cutters, and the first one he hangs, Scope cuts right under, fouls it straight back. Ooh, that's always a sign. You could see, you could see, it's like <laughs> it's just coming. And I forget what the count ended up going to, but it went to two strikes. Cueto went to his out pitch, throws the cutter again, left it high, middle, and Scope sent it like 450 <laughs> feet, just exactly what the doctor ordered. Yeah, <laughs> I was alone in my house, like trying to stifle screams. This was, I couldn't remember what year this would be. Probably like 2016. We're on, on the path to a playoff run. It's the dog days. So it was like an important game against a pretty good team in the Giants. And watching that homer was an especially uh, fine moment for Mr. Scope, who's having a good year again, by the way. We, we support him even outside of uh, his Orioles tenure. Yeah, he was drawing trade interest. Uh... Uh, before the deadline but yeah so in 2016 he actually played 162 games so really just went out there every day he hit 25 homers 38 doubles like this guy was raking he hit 298 that year and the next year 2017 he was an all-star yeah he was he really put it all together in Baltimore and he became a big trade chip yeah definitely a contributor uh, in those very important years 2014 he Played 137 games for him, 16 homers. This, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, this was yeah. Scope was definitely one of those guys that, when you look back at it, he's he was really a big contributor. <laughs> yeah, not the star, but definitely the wouldn't have. He was a glue guy, I guess. Team wouldn't have clicked without him. Yeah, he's an interesting dude too. He's trilingual. He's from Curacao. Yes, yes. I'm looking at that now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so lots of like with him. He oh, and of course, how could I not mention he and Manny Machado were like bros. Yes, These two were on Instagram all the time. I'll have to find the picture of the two of them when they were uh, they were in like Bowie together, double A huh. ball for the Orioles. And they, I mean, they must have been like nineteen and twenty or something. And there's a photo of them after some game with their like hats on sideways and shirts <laughs> on button, and they're just like cheesing for the camera. Great moment. They had a great relationship, like what Albies and uh, Acuna have yeah, in yeah. Atlanta. They really uh, have an electric presence. They're good on the field together. They enjoy each other's company. <laughs> Definitely. And that, that's, and that makes the game fun to watch. Yes, and that's some of the biggest draw with the Braves right now is you're going to get a, the Acuna Albi show. <laughs> and, yeah, they're, uh, they're a big draw. But, yeah, I do remember the relationship Scope and Machado had. They looked at each other like brothers, you know, and that's important to have for a 162 game stretch. Cause if you hate the guy sitting next to you and you hate the guy sitting on the other side, it's not going to be a fun season. No, no, it is not. But yeah, thank you so much. Is there anything else you wanted to touch on anything else you're looking forward to the rest of the season? No, uh, I'm delighted for a chance to come on. And I think, think we've summed it up pretty well. Go O's, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Looking forward to, uh, 
big things coming in the future. Is there a, do you have a World Series pick for us this year? Ooh, um, I'm going to have to take the easy route and say the Dodgers. That team is stacked. Yeah, even with David Price opting out, Walker Buehler on the injured list for most of the season, that team is just mowing through the competition. <laughs> I mean, and Muncie and Bellinger aren't even hitting the way they should, and they're still. Yeah, it's just just it's a Mookie bet show right now. It's yeah, but yeah, thank you so much, Xavier, for joining the show. We is a great way to have our second personal podcast episode. Thank you much. Delighted to be here.